Well, like I said, happy Father's Day. Can we do this? Can we just take a moment and give our dad, the dads in the room, a round of applause? And I get the privilege because I have the microphone um, of saying, happy Father's Day, Dad. Love you. Um, so, uh, so uh, you know, I know that the word father uh, conjures up a whole myriad of emotions for some of us. Um, you know, but this morning I want to take the time to encourage and to celebrate the dads. Because the truth is we all need encouragement, whether we're a dad or not. Right? For me, I know that this has been true so often in my life. Uh, one time I, when I was, I was leaving Beach Point and it was, uh, I was going to get my first full-time ministry job. I was going to the lovely city of Colton, California. And, um, that's right. And, uh, and I was so pumped. I was finally going to be outside the old tired shackles of the now Dr. Reverend William Lloyd Stafiri. Okay. Um, you know, and I was, it was going to be the best. I was so excited about it. And I, you know, I couldn't wait to get started. I couldn't wait, um, to start ministry in my career. And the, the transition though, was a little different than I anticipated. Because in the beginning, uh, Kristen and I, my wife and I, we, we, we had to work out some moving issues. And we'd never done this before, um, on this level at least. And so uh, we kind of had a, a, a strange living predicament for about three months. So to, to kind of paint the picture, I lived part-time in the city of Moreno Valley. I lived part-time in, the, in, in Huntington Beach. I was still, I, I left to get the job in the middle of a school semester, so I was still finishing up 15 units um, of philosophy classes at Cal State Fullerton, and I was working 50 plus hours in the city of Colton. So needless to say, the car and me were friends, okay? I was driving all over the place. I put more miles on my car in those three months than I did in any other three months of my life. Now, um, you know, my wife and I, we heard this phrase in our, in our, early on in our marriage, and we, it really kind of stuck. It really defined us. The phrase was, we didn't get married to be apart. And that kind of defines who we are. We do not do well apart from one another. When we are separated in space and time, whatever you think that is, and, uh, and it, it was, it's a strange, you know, kind of difficult experience. I mean, to, to put it plainly, one time, I was up speaking at a camp when we were living in Colton, and my wife had to work, and so it wasn't going to work out for her to take the vacation. We needed her to work. We needed the, the money, and, uh, and so I brought my buddy who was playing drums today. Um, his name's Tim. He's one of my best friends in the whole world. I brought him. I'm like, I'm a dude. It'll be dude time. I'll be good. Like, it'll be man time, you know? It'll be men's world, you know? And I was super pumped about it, and and then, though, you know, he was driving up, we were talking, and about 10 hours later, though, the tune is a little different. It's me on the phone saying something to this effect. Kristen, I can't do this without you. I need you up here right now. Please come up. You know, um, I mean, I know that you may or may not be able to imagine me being that emotional, but, um, but I, I was, and I, it, was, it was a real struggle. And so for that week, Kristen got off of work at about 2.30, uh, and then she would drive up the mountain and be with me um, from 2.30 through the night 
and then would leave at about 4.30 or 5 a.m. to get to work every day for a week just because we couldn't be apart. We did not get married to be apart. So after three weeks of some weeks, us being uh, living in different houses for four days, some weeks, us living in houses, in different houses for six, maybe seven days, I hit a wall. I was lonely. I was depressed. I, I mean, truth be told, I was discouraged. And so I walked into Dane, uh, who was my boss at the time, the senior pastor's office, and I just said, hey, I need to talk to you. He's like, yeah, sure, what's up? And I said, I, I quit. And he was like, good. I'm just kidding, he didn't say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, what he said was, he said these words that, that, that still get me. And I know some of you in the room know him and, and you know these words. And, but man, I mean, they still get me. He said, let's go for a walk. And for him, that was his way of saying, let's go and let's talk. And he would pr- he, on, the, on this walk, he prayed with me. He listened to me cry. He listened to me, you know, I mean, yell about how I can't do this. He heard my discouragement. And he, and he spoke truth into my, into my heart. And then, and then I went back and I, I felt better. And then every day for the next two months... At some point throughout my day, hey, you want to go for a walk? Every day for two months. I am 100% certain that without those moments, I would not be a pastor. I would have quit ministry and done my real true calling of DJing. Okay? Um, <laughs> If only, you know. Man. The truth, though, is, is that we all have moments like that, don't we? Right? If I were to say to you, hey, has there been a time in the last two months where you've been like, why am I doing this? I can't do this. And you get discouraged. The answer would probably be, yeah. Yeah, there's been some moments like that. Right? And discouragement is like a disease. Right? I wish it was like the chicken pox, where unless you're like the 0.01% of the population that can continue to get it, which it is terrible to be you, um, you know, you get it only once, and then it's over, and you never have to deal with it in your life. Right? But discouragement isn't like chicken pox. It's on the rinse and repeat cycle. Right? It just keeps coming. It's like a freight train that doesn't stop. Not only that, though, discouragement is contagious. Right? When you're around people that are just constantly discouraging, like, you know, Saturday Night Live, Debbie Downer, like, wah, wah. You know, you're like, gosh, this is awful. Because it begins to grate on you. It begins to wear you down. But the flip side is true, too. That encouragement is contagious. That people who are encouraging spread that sort of uh, sense of confidence and courage everywhere they go. Really, we're going to see this in the scriptures today, and it's the root of our big idea. And so I want to encourage you to grab an outline, take notes. You'll remember way more of what you write down than what you simply hear. Uh, And the big idea of our day, the sermon in a sentence, is this, is that God uses encouragement to build lasting faith. God uses encouragement to build lasting faith. We're going to see how he does that in this passage 
And so when you're done writing it down, I want to encourage you to, to grab a Bible or open up your Bible app to Acts chapter 11. Uh, we're going to start in verse 19. It's on page 1103 in the Bibles in the racks in front of you if you want to use that. I'm going to be using my, my Bible app, so you're going to have to restrain yourselves from texting me for the, few, for the next few minutes, okay? So, so to paint this picture as you're turning there, I want to remind you, I remind everybody of this. It, it, to me, it, it's very difficult to remember that the Bible and Aesop's fables are not the same. It's very difficult to remember that the stories in the Bible are not like about these witches that put out breadcrumbs or put you in an oven. You know, it's, it's not like that. It's real people in real places with real hearts and real feelings in real time, and especially, just like you and me, with real problems. And so uh, in this series, what we've been on trying to unpack is in the life of the early church, how hope changed everything, starting in 12 guys' lives, then moving to 120 people's lives, then moving to 3,120 people's lives, to moving to 10,000, and on and on and on. And today what we're going to see in this passage, it's so cool. For the first time ever, the gospel, the news that Jesus died, was buried, rose again uh, on the third day for, for the forgiveness of our sins so that anyone who puts their trust in him could have a relationship with God, that news for the first time is about to break a cultural barrier. It's about to break out of, uh, of being something only for Jewish people, and now it's about to go out into the rest of the world. And I don't know if, if you have had the privilege of going to Israel, but I haven't. So anytime I read a city in the Bible, I just skip over it because I have no mental picture to try to figure it out, where it is or what it's like. So what I wanted to give you is a little bit of a map. Um, this is this is the map of the early church, okay? So in the book of Acts, this is where it goes, all over here. Now, since I know that you can read that perfectly from where you are, um, we'll move on. Just kidding. No, the church, kind of the center of the church, the hub where it, was, where, where it existed up to this point was mainly right there in the southeastern uh, corner of the Mediterranean Sea in Jerusalem, okay? But... Uh, a few chapters before this, we read, and if you weren't here, I'll catch you up. We read that a guy named Stephen was going to be the first martyr of the church. They kill him. And just like when you turn on the lights and the cockroaches scatter, okay, um, they kill the first Christian. Uh, excuse me, they, the, the, the first death, the first uh, martyr, it happens, and the church scatters. And they don't, like, get in their car and drive. They literally run. They run for their lives all the way up to here, to Antioch, okay? Now, for you and me, that looks like, wow, that's not that far, but it's 250 miles on foot, okay? 250 miles on foot is a little bit of a ways. And so they are quite literally running for their lives, and they land in this city. And Antioch is like, it's not, uh, it's not like the hub of the, of the Hebrew-speaking world, but it is the hub of the Greek-speaking world. It's, a, it's the capital of Syria. It's the third largest city. And the only, um, the only uh, cities that were bigger than it were Rome and Alexandria. So it's kind of a big deal in the Greek-speaking world. And so this is where we find ourselves today. We find ourselves in the city of Antioch after the death of the first martyr. And so with that, we read in verse 19, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. 
Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of faith of the Holy Spirit, excuse me, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, the first thing that we see in this passage, the first thing that strikes uh, me in this passage is the the fact that these people that are bringing the gospel to Antioch are kind of like these unnamed pioneers, right? They don't even tell us their names. They just tell us where they're from, Cyprus and Cyrene. The problem, though, with unknown, you know, with unknown people is they lack credibility. Like if I said to you, you know, uh, everyone knows, uh, and, and some scholars say that 47.36% of statistics are made up on the spot. You, and for you to trust that, you're going to be like, who says that? Is it the scholar that's speaking right now? Okay, because don't trust him when it comes to math, okay? Um, you know, so you, you want to know, is, does this have any credibility? So, and, and this is exactly what the church in Jerusalem wants to know. They want to know, they've heard that the, the gospel is spreading, that, that good things are happening among Greek-speaking people. And so they're like, is this true? Are they speaking the right gospel? Are they speaking the, fact, uh, they're speaking the gospel of Jesus? Or are they intermingling it and making it weird and making it wrong? And so what do they do? They send Barnabas. And here's what we know already about Barnabas from Acts chapter 4. I'll throw the verse up on the screen. It says this. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So <clears throat> what we know of the apostle, excuse me, of the, of the follower of Jesus um, whose name is Barnabas is that his name isn't Barnabas and that he sold a field, Right? Okay, and he brought all the money at the apostles' feet. Great, his real name's Joseph, he's a Levite, and his nickname is Son of Encouragement. Essentially, the people are like, this guy is so encouraging that his father must be encouragement itself. Like, it's genetic. It's, it like oozes out of him everywhere he goes. And why did the, why did the apostles, why did the, the Christians send Barnabas to Antioch? Why not, why not somebody else? Well, the truth is, we don't know. But if you caught... There's a connection. And I think there's two reasons that they sent Barnabas. One is uh, the men who were spreading the gospel were supposed to be from Cyprus and Cyrene. Barnabas is from Cyprus. So he most likely um, would know who this guy is, who these people are that are spreading it. And not only that, but I believe if you're about to send somebody to some place to find out whether or not if something is true or not. And the reason that they're going to stay there is to make sure that everything continues to go on well and is, and is built up. Do you want to send a Debbie Downer? No, you don't. You want to send the, the son of encouragement. And I believe that's exactly why they sent Barnabas. 
Now, I want to pause here and just say, what, and ask the question, what do we mean by encouragement? Because most of the time, I think when we think of people who are encouraging, what we think of is people who make us feel good and people who are good at giving compliments. Neither of those things are what we mean here, right? That's not what we mean by encouragement. Biblical encouragement, one definition from the scripture is this. It's that uh, biblical encouragement is giving someone the courage and the confidence to have faith in God and rely on his power. To have courage and confidence to have faith in God and rely on the Holy Spirit, to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. So biblical encouragement is about going in and giving greater confidence and more courage uh, and more trust, more faith, and more surrender and reliance on the Spirit. In other words, encouragement is something that builds lasting faith, right? When When biblical encouragement, when godly encouragement comes in, it makes your faith stronger, there's actually three ways that this happens uh, that we see in this passage. And, then, and these are the, the, the three things that I want to highlight about why godly encouragement builds a lasting faith. And we're going to go through them kind of quickly. Um, but the first one, and this is the next thing I want you to write down, is this. Is that godly encouragement empowers people to persevere. Godly encouragement empowers people to persevere. So the truth is, Barnabas was in Jerusalem... He was with the church in Jerusalem. They did just experience the the first murder for following Jesus. They just experienced the first follower of Jesus being killed for their faith. Things are not, you know, A-OK at this point. Things are difficult for them at this point. The church is in what's called a great persecution. You know, one person's been killed for their faith. Hundreds have been thrown in prison people's land is being taken away, right? There's difficulty. There's the possibility of discouragement. There, there's a, there really is a possibility that the church in Jerusalem may have hit a wall um, without one another. But see, the church in Antioch right now, 250 miles north on the Mediterranean coast, they're doing great. Things are going great, right? It says, it says it's good, and kind of, I think, and you, you know, I'm, I'm reading into this, and so you gotta, you got to go with me. I kind of feel like they're in the honeymoon phase, right, of their relationship with Jesus. I do lots of weddings, uh, you know, as a pastor, you know, you marry and bury. And, um, yeah, I know, it's terrible. But, um, but you know, I, I, do, I do lots of weddings, and I love looking in couples' eyes in the beginning, man. They're like all oogly-eyed, you know. They're like, they're looking at each other, and you can just hear Sebastian in the background. You gotta bat your eyes like this. You know, like you can, it's so like, they're like, oh yeah. And, you know, and I'm like, that's so cool. They're like in the wedage phase. And you're like, the what phase? The, the phase where the, all they have is a wedding, right? But later, they're gonna have to build a marriage, Right? They're in a wedge phase, you know? And, and I, so I tell them, man, today's so great. Only focus on that. Only think about today. But in about three to six months, my office is open. Give me a call because you're going to have struggles. There's going to be difficult times coming. And anyone who's been married for any time longer than six months knows, yes, yes, they do. They do come. And I feel like the church in Antioch is in this phase. And so what do they do? They send Barnabas to say, hey, I know what is 250 miles south of where we are and what is rapidly on its way to crush us. 
I witnessed it with my eyes. So do not be surprised when it comes. Right? The Apostle Paul shows us this even later in 1 Thessalonians. He models this exact same thing. Okay, when it says, it'll throw it up here on the screen. It says, we sent Timothy, who's our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials for you know quite well that we are destined for them. By the time Paul had written to the church in Thessalonica, he'd already spent the year in Antioch with Barnabas. He'd already experienced great persecution. He'd already experienced great trials. The church was already in the midst, way past the honeymoon phase. And so Barnabas and the church in Jerusalem know what's coming. And so they send a godly encourager to come and to build lasting faith, to encourage them to persevere. Say, hey, everything's great right now, but just so you know, it's not going to stay this way and it's going to be difficult, but Jesus is worth it. Right? A preacher tells this story years ago about uh, a father and his son. Uh, His son was running a cross-country meet. And it was a long race, and so the father is set up at the last leg of the race. And it was about the last thousand yards. And the son comes around the bend to, to finish the race, and his father could see it in his face, man. He was tired. You know, he could see the heaviness, you know, in the son's feet, that he wasn't light on his feet anymore like he was in the beginning. His feet were heavy. It was going to be a tough last thousand yards. And so the dad you know, musters up as much voice as he has and begins to yell, go, go, you can do it. And all of a sudden the, the son begins to, to have a little bounce. And he, so he keeps yelling, go, go. And he finishes strong. And later that night when they were out at dinner, uh, the, the dad said, wow, man, son, you finished that race so strongly. I'm so impressed. And the son looked at him and he said, it's because I could hear my dad's voice that I finished with, with perseverance. And I think the truth is, is that if you and I are going to finish well, it's not going to be because we show up every week here on Sundays. It's not going to be because we listen to this radio station versus that radio station. It's going to be because we can hear our father's voice. Not our earthly father, but our heavenly father's voice saying, we can do this together. And the truth is, is that sometimes God speaks directly to us. Sometimes he speaks directly to us. But if I'm being really honest with you, as one of the teaching pastors here, that's happened less times than the numbers of fingers on this hand for me where I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is the voice of God directly to me. Not through the word, not through, you know, prayer, or not through, um, you know, somebody else, but just directly to me. So I believe that God wants to directly encourage you, but I also believe that he created this thing called his body. And he gave his body gifts, and he gave them a love and a passion for one another. And he says, you guys champion one another. You guys show and remind everyone to listen for their father's voice. And this really is the difference between, you know, uh, regular encouragement, making someone feel good for a moment, and godly encouragement, giving someone courage and confidence to, incur- to, to, to continue the course in their faith. And it's the next thing I want you to write down, and it's this, that godly encouragement is fueled by the Holy Spirit. Godly encouragement is fueled by the Holy Spirit. 
in verse 24, we get another short description of Barnabas, right? He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Now, the way this verse is written uh, in the original language, uh, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a strange structure. And so we have a hard time translating it uh, into a, a sentence that flows well in English. But there's this word that's not translated, and the word is hati, and it means because. And the because is referencing to the full of the Holy Spirit and faith. So really, if we were going to translate this verse kind of directly, woodenly, it would say, because Barnabas is a man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, he was good. This is the method of God's provision for his people. This is a method, rather, of God's provision for his people. That we aren't simply going to each other and giving them the attaboy, right? We're going to people with the same power that raised Christ from the dead, right? The the scriptures teach it that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And now, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but, but for me, when you're around somebody who's kind of, who's, who's one of those people that you just know, man, this person is full of the Holy Spirit and faith. They don't even have to say anything. Just their, their way of being encourages you and spurs you on towards love and good deeds. See, Barnabas had faith in God's ability to change people, and it gave him the courage to take a pretty big risk on a, formerly, um, a former murderer named Saul. And he begins and he takes this knick-knack and he begins to mentor him. When others were afraid, like we, like we read a couple weeks ago, Barnabas steps in. See, the vision of grace in the lives of people helps us see beyond the gloom to believe and so to be agents of grace in the lives of others. That we won't give up on them, that we will pray for them, that we'll meet with them, that we'll urge them, that we'll rebuke them, that we'll be their friend enough to stab them in the face, not in the back, you know what I mean? Right, to have to say things truthfully, but in love. Right? Some of the hardest things sometimes come when, from someone who loves us, right? That guy that I told you about that knocked on my door every day for those two months, Dane, he said to me, he said, Jason, you have a great gift of teaching, but you're lazy and arrogant in your gift. And I'm like, cool, have a good day. Um, and uh, he was right. I relied so much on my own strength, my own power, my own ability to be charismatic and, and, and convincing that I would never have become the teacher that I was without him. And so he, he, he had the, the willingness to stand with me to say, let me encourage you through some hard words in the beginning. And then every week, by the way, after that, he met with me um, to look through my sermon. And he didn't just, he didn't just you know, kind of give me the kick in the pants But he, and this is really the next thing on your outlines about godly encouragement, is that godly encouragement might mean being present. Godly encouragement might mean being present. You know, 
The scripture teaches that then Barnabas went and got Saul, who'd left Antioch, gone back home to Tarsus, goes and gets him, brings him back, and it says they stay for a year, right? They didn't just say a quick word of encouragement. They paid the price of time. They were in it for the long haul, right? I don't know about you, but I'm like a total sucker for movies like Remember the Titans, Man, I am just a total sucker. Like, remember the Titans, Miracle, Coach Carter, Radio? They're all the same movie. They have the exact same plot line. You can plot them out in like six steps. But I watch them every time because there's this one moment in every one of them where like the coach is like, all right, team, come on in. Come on in. And, he, and the speech is like, I'm going to do it. You know, whatever it is. You don't even like, I don't even play basketball, but I'm going to do it, you know. And, and I, I just love it. The truth, though, is, is that I think a lot of us, we look for these like Coach Carter, Coach Boone moments in our lives because we have, we're under this illusion that life is like the last minute of a game. The problem is, is that it's just a lie. Life is a marathon, not a minute. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. If you didn't hear it, someone in the audience said, that's for sure. That's right. It is. It's not the, la- it's not the fourth quarter. It's the first quarter, and it never ends. See, Barnabas and Saul weren't there to give them a Coach Boone, Coach Carter, attaboy, and then leave. They were there to pay the price of time. And for some people, they don't need a moment. They need you with them every day to say, Let's go for a walk. Come with me. Let's do this together. See, what, what do we see though? What's the outcome of this way of doing it? It says, and a large number of people believed. And I don't know if you've put this together yet. Now, I know some of you in this room, um, your descendants, the, your, your lineage traces back um, to, to Hebrew-speaking people, um, to the Jewish community. I get that. But for the majority of you in this room, your lineage traces back originally to Greek-speaking community. And the only reason that you have the opportunity in this place, in this time, to have a place called church, to have a thing called faith, is because about 1960 years ago, some people said, we're not going to give up. We know it's going to be hard. We know it's going to be difficult, but we are staying strong. We are here. We are in it for the long haul. We've got our champions on our side. We will survive because of the grace and the mercy and the kindness of Jesus. Because a small group of people And that ultimately led to large numbers of people in a small city that you probably have never been to called Antioch said, we are going to endure by the grace of God through him who called us Jesus Christ and through our brothers and sisters, we will endure. Let me ask you this. If you knew that 1,940 years from now, someone would say the same thing about you, and your faith, wouldn't you do anything to endure? Then do it. Maybe you're on the one side of the coin where you're saying, I've got, I'm full of faith. I, I'm full, I, I, I'm so encouraged by God. Then what I would say to you to champion you today is to unleash you 
Stop hoarding it all to yourself and give it away to the people you are around. Give it to the people you need. Ask God, God, who needs my encouragement today? Who needs your encouragement today? But maybe some of you are on the opposite side of the coin. You are discouraged. And the towel is in your hand right here. And the only thing that's left is for you to actually toss it. And then I would say to you, stop being so prideful and arrogant that you are an island and that you can do it all on your own. Because that's not the model. There's someone in this place, someone in your life that can come alongside you and pay the price of time with you, to encourage you, to give you the courage and the confidence to endure in your faith. So I want to ask you, Beach Point, who does God want to empower through your encouragement? Like I said, maybe you're on that first side of the coin. Who does God want to empower through you? And and then the other side of the coin, beach point. Who do you need to seek out? Maybe you need to seek somebody out. Last night I came into this sermon. I was really discouraged. I've blown it a bunch of times this week. Been an, you know, an idiot. Um, which is, of course, very different for me. But uh, somebody came alongside me and, and said, no, no, it's okay. It's not you, it's Jesus. So get her done. And so who maybe needs to come alongside you and say, it's not you, it's Christ in you. You're going to be okay. We're going to do it together. And uh, the band's going to come back up, and we're going to respond a little differently today than we normally do. Um, and uh, I'm going to encourage you, as we, as we read Scripture, as we respond in song, to whatever side of the coin you are on, kind of like Michael led us earlier, to have a heart, maybe even physically with your hands, to have a heart that says, I, I need you, God, and I need your direction. Um, and so uh, as the band comes back up and as we sing, as we read, it's, it's not going to change anything for you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps to just say, I got this. I believe that if the church in Antioch would have done that, we wouldn't be here, or we may not be here at least but it's because they said, we need you, God. We need you to fill us, to encourage us. And so I want to invite you, like I said, it's going to be a little different. I want to invite you now to stand as we read and respond together. Would you stand with me?